stories we tell communicate who we are and what we value. Each episode, we consider a different story from our perspective as women. From murder ballads to fairy tales, we discuss the power these stories have over us all. This is our history, both real and imagined, told through the eyes of today. This is Femlore. Hey, Rach, how you doing? Oh, hello there, Min. How's your fall going? Oh, it's wonderful. It's beautiful here in the Midwest. All the leaves are changing colors. Yeah. And I know you're here with me. <laughs> so you see I feel it? like I feel like it's just like impending winter, you know, oh. so I'm kind of I'm just always depressed right now. <laughs> like I want to be happy, but I can't. This we all is, know what's coming. This is my favorite time of year, but I feel you winter is coming. Yes, it is coming. <laughs> and we should share. I mean, you've spent a lot of many years out in California. So yes. you being here winter, I think is a lot scarier for you than it is for me. <laughs> I just spend that time of year angry, baseline angry. <laughs> so you know, it's oh, fine. No. I chose this. I can't be mad. Yeah. It's okay. Well, hopefully this story <laughs> cheers you up. We have a really great story today Yay. called Don Chileche and it's a Nepalese folktale. Um, and I'm super excited. We have a special guest joining us actually from CARE, where I think some of our listeners probably know I used to work at CARE. Um, it is a global nonprofit that I'm still extremely passionate about. Um, and we're bringing on a special guest who works in the gender advocacy field. So it'll be really great to have her perspective on this story. Um, and with that being said, that's why this episode pairs well with the nonprofit CARE. We will be making a donation and would encourage any of our listeners to join us. Um, they do so many amazing things, um, helping to end early child marriage, also helping with like child labor laws. Um, they help to get food and supplies where they're needed. And the list really goes on and on. Um, if you've ever heard of a CARE package, it started with CARE.org. Mm. Um, yeah, which is really cool. So, um, they used to send those care packages and now pretty much they say their programming no longer fits in a box because it's so much more, you know, our world is <laughs> complex and um, there's a lot of women and girls who need help. And they really believe that we can end global poverty if we focus on uplifting women and girls, which I believe in as well. All right, well, let's get to the story. And before we jump in, um, I do want to acknowledge that um, I will do my best with pronunciation and um, really work to not be offensive. But if we make any mistakes, you know, we always love to hear from our listeners. Um, we're we're doing this because we're passionate about it. We always want to learn and grow. So um, let us know what your what your thoughts are and leave a review. We we always love those reviews. We love those reviews. And don't forget <laughs> to be kind. That's important. <laughs> and maybe a little patient. Yes. All right. So let's dive into this story. The Himalayan peaks surrounded the small house where lived a young girl named Punthaku Maincha with her mother, father, and her nanny, a goat named Don Cholicha. She spent many happy days with her family, that is, until she was four years old. It was during that year's winter that her mother died. Puntaku Maincha cried and cried. Her nanny goat consoled her, using her chin to rub the child's shoulder. Shortly after the death of her mother, Puntaku's father decided to remarry, and within a year, she had a baby sister. Once her sister arrived, her stepmother made it clear that she was no longer wanted. 
She was fed only scraps and was made to take her nanny go out to graze by herself in the mountains for days at a time. Yet Puntanku continued to grow despite her meager food rations. Her stepmother decided to cut her rations even further, but still, she continued to grow healthy and strong. Believing that she was stealing food, her stepmother had her daughter follow Puntanku to see how she was getting food. Crouched behind a rock, Puntaku's sister witnessed something magical. Don Chaliche would vomit a delicious meal for her. She ran to her mother and told her the news. Puntaku's stepmother decided to rid herself of Don Chaliche, inviting the whole town to feast on the elderly goat. Just like when her mother died, Puntaku cried and cried, and Don Chaliche consoled her, saying, Do not cry, as I will always feed you. Don Chalicha told Puntaku that once the feast was over, she should take her bones and bury them, and on that exact spot, a fig tree would grow. It took only a few weeks before a beautiful fig tree grew. Every afternoon, Puntaku would climb the tree and pick the figs. One day, she was up in the tree and an elderly couple saw her. Young girl, they said, please bring us figs and come to our house to make us some delicious flatbread. Respecting her elders, she complied. She brought figs with her to the old couple's house. Up the stairs she went to make them flatbread. The older couple left, and shortly after, a mouse scurried out of a hole and said to her, Little girl, feed me a piece of that flatbread and I will tell you a secret. Puntaku complied. The mouse ran back into the hole and appeared again shortly after, repeating, Little girl, feed me a piece of flatbread and I will tell you a secret. She had complied again, and the mouse was gone. He came and asked a third time, and again she complied. But instead of scurrying away this time, he told her, The old couple that you serve are demons who wish to eat you. Take the jewels and precious metals in the house and flee. But before you do, spit on each step and trail your steps with lumps of coal. Puntaku did as the mouse said. She arrived home with riches. Her stepmother wished her daughter to also have riches, so she sent her to the fig tree. Soon after, the old couple came and asked, the same as they had to Puntaku's little sister. She complied and followed them to their home. When they left, the mouse came out of his little hole and said, Little girl, feed me a piece of flatbread and I will tell you a secret. She complied the first time, but when the mouse asked again, she got upset and refused to give him a piece of the flatbread. Puntaku's little sister never learned the secret of the old couple and her fate was sealed. Her bones were left perched on the old couple's house for her mother to see. All right. Well, we are so excited to um, introduce our guest, Gayatri. Um, we would love if you would introduce yourself to our listeners. Yeah. Hi. Thanks so much, Mindy and Rachel, for having me. Um, my name is Gayatri Patel. I am the Director of Gender Advocacy at CARE USA. And Mindy, I think you told the audience a little bit about CARE already. But the work that I do for CARE is really trying to bring the stories um, and the work that we do in the fields all around the world to U.S. government policymakers so that the, the U.S. government can um, play a role in lifting communities out of poverty, supporting women and girls around the world, um, providing assistance in humanitarian emergencies, and, uh, and just you know, being a good actor on the international development stage. That's so important. We really appreciate oh, what you do. Yeah. Definitely. Thank you. Um, so I guess let's jump right into the discussion. Um, 
what did you think of this story, Gayatri? What, what were your thoughts? It, it sounded almost like a, like a Disney fairy tale, you know, with the evil stepmother and the, the poor child who, you know, was, was just trying to kind of survive and she had the help of a, of a couple of, of creatures who, who saw the good in her and, and wanted to help her. Um, but it was, you know, it was really, I was really kind of moved by the idea that this girl was, you know, just trying to, to survive in, in the face of her stepmother's greed and um, kind of lack of love for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so interesting, because we were just talking about that um, earlier when we were prepping for the story and, and really looking at the kind of similarities between the story of Cinderella that mm-hmm. I think so many people know. Very, yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, that evil stepmother trope. Yeah, and we have we have some some uh, thoughts on the evil stepmother trope, but um, you know I think one one thing that uh, really stuck out was this idea that um, that stepmothers. I mean, you see that often in fairy tales, and we cover a lot of fairy tales, and we like we just see the problems a lot, Gayatri. So we're mm-hmm. a little jaded when it comes to fairy tales. But I think the very interesting part about the evil stepmother trope is that it really hen- hinges on like a patrilineal society and um, and kind of this idea of competing for resources. Right, women uh-huh. are forced to compete in in societies where they don't necessarily have, um, you know, autonomy, um, and that it's kind of complicated with the newer newer culture there because they do have some uh, some passing down uh, to women of property and things like that. But at the high level, I think it really kind of points to that like patrilineal society and the problems with that and what kind of position that puts women in. Um, yeah, so I'd love exactly. your thoughts on that. No, I mean, I think you're you're absolutely right. And I, if you look at it, it's the, the stepmother who's, you know, feeding or withholding food from from the kid. It's, the father has no role in this process. So it's, it's not just this patrilineal um, environment, but also just a, a commentary on like who who runs things in, in the home when it comes to things like food or caring for the children. That's um, so interesting. I was going to build off of that because I was kind of waiting to say like something else that bothers me in these stories, whether it be Cinderella or the story that we're talking about today is the fact that what's seen as those gender roles in the home. So it's like the stepmother is demonized, but the father is obviously yeah. seeing and knowing that this is happening yep. and doing nothing. Mm-hmm. So, it's you know, there, I mean, it could it well could that's true the, too like in cinderella yeah. i think they said like you know he was off working but still so like how are you not checking on or like you know I, just i think that kind of like that pass that like oh well mm-hmm. he has to do these gender normative things for like a man so he has no part in the harm that's happening to his daughter which that just always bothered me yeah yeah well i mean it's there's so many parallels with what we actually see in our work around the world on food and nutrition that, you know, girls are often the last to eat the, the, and they end up eating the least nutritious food. So there's, there's such a power dynamic and norm around food. And, and you're right. The the fact that the father's not involved isn't necessarily caring about his, his daughter and, and, you know, whether she's eating well or whether she's being taken care of is quite interesting. No, but that's true. I, almost. I, like, it, you know, this this tale could be happening. I mean, obviously, it's a it's a fairy tale, but 
it could be happening now. It could be something that happened a hundred years ago. Um, there's really a sense of like timelessness in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think what you were just saying there, you're taking me back to when I used to work for care as well. And really thinking about that this could be happening now. I mean, I think so often in America, sometimes we overlook these things, but I mean, hunger is a, a global issue. And I mean, it's happening here in America, it's happening around the world. And um, knowing that girls are the ones to eat last, last and get the least amount of resources, because even that kind of goes into the gender norms that like men and boys have to be bigger and stronger and like girls can do with less because they should be smaller. Yeah. Well, that was one of the one of the things that struck me in in that this character, the the main um, the main character, Puntaku Mensha, she's you know obviously very obedient and like you know takes the the food that is given to her, but she's also quietly defiant in that she she takes the food outside of the home from her nanny goat um, and doesn't share it with her her stepmother and her, her little sister. And so she has this, you know, side of her that's a little bit defiant, which I thought was interesting. Um, and, you know, it gives her a little bit more dimension than just this child who's 100% obedient, 100% deferential, um, which I, I thought was interesting. Yeah, I think that's really interesting uh, to think about her eating as defiance. Uh, that's uh, We hadn't thought of that, actually. That's really cool to think about that. And, and you know, I think in these stories, we, um, we kind of look at the main character, and, and sometimes we find a lot of flaws with them. Um, but I, I do think um, she's doing the best she can with the kind of society and situation she's in. And I think uh, that points back to your thought about food. As, a, as an act of defiance. Um, I think that's, it's very interesting to see that kind of defiance happen. Um, and yeah, and, and it's so interesting also in the uh, new, newer society. Um, I, I didn't know this and I don't know, sorry, Gayatri, if I'm telling you something you already know, but um, the, the first marriage for a girl in the newer society is to a god. So actually, she, they're actually kind of, and it's very young, supposedly. Um, so that's, that marriage to God actually makes kind of protects them in some ways. Um, and mm-hmm. their marriage to a man is secondary. So, you know, it doesn't quite, I guess what I'm getting at is more about the society in which she's in and how, you know, that, that a view of women and her potentially already being married, right. Uh, to a God uh, can, can kind of give her some leeway and some, some power that maybe she wouldn't have if that wasn't, if that didn't exist. So, yeah, and to build off of that, what you were saying, because then it, in the newer society that women cannot be widows, which I think so often we see and hear things in fairy tales about how like being a widow is the worst thing yeah. ever. And that's not really talked about here in that story. But like, you know, thinking of or is the stepmother a widow? I mean, the father is. But do we know that about the stepmom? I think they're still married, I think. Oh, like, was I mean, she was she a widow before she oh, married? Yeah, that's a good father? point. Yeah, yeah. that's what. Mm-hmm. I, but anyway, so I don't know. Yeah. Like in the society, thinking about that, like being a widow for a woman isn't as detrimental as like we hear that sometimes in other stories and things. Then you're kind of like cast out of society or seen. And um, so yeah, that is definitely interesting here. And the fact that like kind of leading into this this holiness and the connection with a god and thinking about that goats are seen as very holy. Yeah. And I think you know I. I loved that that character and having this connection with a, a nanny goat mm-hmm. and her friend and um, 
Yeah, I just thought that was really special. Kind of reminded me of Peter Pan, the movie. You know how they have the dog <laughs> as the nanny? Yeah, I was just like, how, oh, yeah. how is that? I was like, what do you mean, Peter Pan? The, yeah, the nanny dog. The yeah. nanny dog. <laughs> I oh, it's kind of, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, the, the goat itself is kind of interesting in that it's uh, she's female. It's, you know, they're mm-hmm. personifying or humanizing um, an animal and and giving her a gender and that gender has this, you know, very gendered notion of being very nurturing and caring for this child. I thought it was, I thought that was interesting that, you know, of course this would be a female goat taking care of the kid. We had the same thought and I loved, it's kind of interesting then thinking about um, her other um, non-human friend in the story, but looking at the mouse that Mm -hmm. he was given a male gender mm-hmm. and referred to as he in the story yeah and, and I, a little bit more cunning a little bit more like manipulative mm-hmm, like you know mm-hmm. give me some plot bread and i'll tell you a secret but he didn't actually tell the secret until after three tries right yeah. so yeah that's an interesting and then point. the goat being the woman and like providing even in her death for somebody yeah yeah mm-hmm. exactly and and i do think that's interesting about the mouse uh in general because there is no guarantees that she's going to get anything from that so I, I was kind of trying to think of like what that meant you know like what what is that trying to tell us about how we should behave is it that you don't give up on people and i just i couldn't i was kind of confused i don't know if uh, i was too and i was kind of confused too because then looking at how her little sister didn't wasn't patient mm-hmm. through the th- three times and dies. So also, what are we supposed to think of her little sister? And the fact of like, what is the message there in the the three asks? Gayatri, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's, the way I was viewing it was that the girl, um, not the little sister, but the girl was just being obedient. Mm. And, you know, she she was told or asked to do something even if it was from a mouse she was told to do something so she did it and she was told to do something again and she did it and she was told to do something again and she did it and so (laughs) it was was more an act of obedience than an act of necessarily trust and the fact that you know that obedience is something that you're connecting with the the heroine of the story versus the lack of obedience the defiance of the little sister being associated with like the greediness and the you know self-interest and so I thought it's kind of a commentary on obedience is good defiance is bad in in little girls yeah and that's very interesting because even the obedience to the to the old couple right like she has Mm -hmm. to she has to obey her elders so she goes and and works for the older couple yeah so then and you would think obedience in that case is really bad but it turns out to be great right so that's very interesting that 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 obedience is so important and valued um in 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 the story Mm -hmm. um but no i think it's so interesting about obedience and looking at how women and girls still today are expected to fall into that whether it be in the workplace Uh in the classroom um oftentimes like you know, we're talked over or people overlook our ideas. And, you know, I mean, I think obviously times are changing. And I know it's something that I've worked on, even having like the strength for Rachel and I to put our voices and thoughts out there on this podcast. Like, you know, I don't know that everybody, like, I guess, I don't know, not to... I don't know why I feel the need to share this, but sometimes, you know, people don't always 
love our podcast, maybe they have like a slightly different view or they'll leave us a review. And sometimes that will hurt. And I'm like, oh man, do I need to try to be everything to everyone? Because I think that's a pressure of women. We always have Mm -hmm. to try to please people. But I'm Uh like, you know, we're sharing our opinion. We're trying to learn and grow. And like, we're brave enough to put ourselves out there. So I think that is kind of a step in the right direction. And I guess just a little plug for go Rachel and I, because sometimes I can get, it's like, you know, people like behind a keyboard, they can have a lot of opinions. And it's it's just interesting because even looking at how obedience kind of fits into this modern world with social media and all these new things that we're, we're dealing with. Yeah. And it, yeah, it, absolutely. And it does go back to that um, idea of like a very gendered view, right. Uh, of the world. And I like, I, I get very worried about, um, you know, saying that this is the past, because I think that's the folly of Western culture. Um, It's very, like, we're not very introspective. I mean, I think any culture you're in, you're not very introspective. And, um, you know, I think this is, like you say, Mindy, it's something that's, that's we face that a lot of women face. And because it's gendered, and just like the nanny goat is a caretaker, like, what if the nanny goat was a serial killer? She's not, right? That's crazy, because she's supposed to be nurturing. It's a woman. And I think, you know, there are times in folklore, like for the stepmother, um, especially the stepmother trope, where when women aren't nurturing, they are so way past a normal evil, right? I mean, we brought up the, Uh the father who, he's pretty evil. Like, can we just agree on that? He's like, not there. He's like, letting his daughter starve. I'm not a huge fan, right? Um, And I think just kind of like, again, he gets that free pass. And, you know, this idea of uh, when a woman isn't fitting into that mold of obedience, they either get killed and their bones get on a roof or they get a bunch of riches, you know? And I think um, that feels very spot on, but also very sad (laughs) in a lot of ways. Yeah, Yeah, there weren't very many like nuanced characters in the story you were either like super evil like the stepmother or the the i'm assuming it's a female male couple that becomes you know actually demons and eat small children but the the female in that is also a, a terrible character the little sister is a terrible character or you have the the, the main girl who is kind of cast as like a good a good girl mm-hmm. um, but there's there isn't anything quite in the middle or, or nuanced about that and I think that's so interesting across most folklore and things that we usually folk tales talk about like just in general you're either like they are very black and white and putting people in boxes and um, I think that that can be extremely problematic too because we're we're all so much more than that but mm-hmm. that's I think why when you look at these stories and they all were made and retold for a purpose. And like the purpose of a story like this was to teach women and girls obedience. And um, so, you know, I don't think they really care to have the people seem real. They want it to seem like if you do this, this is the horrible thing that will befall upon you. Well, and yeah. I think too, the cool thing about folklore is that a lot of times it was told uh, traditionally uh, like uh, for uh Vocally? I don't know what I'm trying to say. Orally? Thank you. (laughs) Traditionally, they were told orally. So you had to keep it kind of like, you know, you didn't have time. You kind of wanted to get communicate the story across. So you didn't have a lot of space for nuances. I mean, this was probably one of many stories that you memorized. And that's why we see the rule of three in a lot of folklore, because it kind of just like re, you know, restates kind of what what's going on, right? Uh, so you, and you see that in this story with the mouse, which is really cool. Um, and so there's something so 
um, universal about folklore that is just so lovely, but then also in a lot of ways very damaging, right? Because it's still the same story, uh, just a different continent, right? And I think that's, um, you know, there's something really cool and, and also, frankly, a little upsetting about that, too. Yeah, it's almost like, yeah, just the, it always reminds me of like the game of telephone, right? Like there's different, like different versions of it, but essentially you've got this story, you've got Cinderella, um, there's probably so many more that we haven't even fully uncovered, but there's just this common thread for sure. Yeah, and there's always this one person in the telephone ring that just tells a total lie and that's the worst. (laughs) Like, why are you even playing the game? No, jeez, God. Uh, but yeah, Gayatri, we'd love your thoughts on any of that. Um, what do you think about this story and kind of the rule of three and the black and whiteness of these characters? I think the black and whiteness of the characters really reflects, I mean, I'm I'm sure it's just a role of storytelling. Like you, like what you were saying earlier, the, the, the simpler it is, the easier it is to replicate and, and tell forward. But I think in this story, just the, the black and whiteness of the characters really reflects kind of how women and girls are seen. Like they're, you're, you're not looking for their nuances. You're not looking for their sense of individuality. You're kind of thinking, okay, girls are this or that. Um, and it, it's, it's a way of viewing them and in, in, in stereotyping them in order to kind of package them and control them in a way. And, may, and maybe I'm, I'm being, looking at this too deeply or, you know, reading too much into it but it's it plays so much into this idea that even even now there's so many gender norms that are thrust upon us and you know if you don't fit that norm you're out of luck because people are going to see you that way anyways and mm-hmm. expect you to behave that you know, in, in accordance anyways and so i that's that's kind of what struck me when i was looking at just the the simplicity of the characters and, and the lack of complexity. I love that. One other thing that I, that struck me about the story was just the, the age, mm-hmm. um, the commentary, like the, you know, the, the elderly people are, are being respected and you're supposed to respect them because they're, they're elderly. You have the young child who, you know, at this point is probably what, five, six years old. Right. Mm-hmm. And yet she's already like climbing trees, cooking, um, you know, she, she's got a, a, a sense of independence that, uh, about her that's not normal for, like, a five- or six-year-old here in the U.S. Like, I can't imagine my, five, my, my five-year-old making flatbread. So, you know, just see how early some of these roles get started. Mm-hmm. Like, you're, you're a small child. You're already bringing, dealing with food preparation and, and kind of taking care of yourself and playing these roles. I thought that was um, that, that was something that struck me when I was reading it. That's really interesting. I was kind of overlooking the age because even though we said it, I think like what happens in a lot of folklore, you see more of the actions. And I envision her as like a 12-year-old, you know, and I don't even know if that's really old enough. But yeah, you know, like thinking it, she's five or six. Yeah. Like, yeah. And you're already giving very adult things that she had to care for herself. 
Yeah, and there yeah. is a ju- juxtaposition there between the elderly couple and her, right? Or at least a power dynamic, I guess I should say. Um, and, you know, I actually, when we were researching for the story, Gayatri, I'm just, I just need to say this because it's really kind of ridiculous. But in German folklore, um, it apparently, um, like an old woman or old people can take vitality from younger people by just like being around them. Um, and uh-huh. I, th- I think like, again, that's Germany, like that's not where we're talking about from the story, but I think that there is this fear of like the elderly in a way um, that is very detrimental. Um, and I, I really, you know, I think that power dynamic is pretty clear when, um, you know, when, when she's first going to serve them, right? That she's first making that flatbread and they ask her to do it. They're not paying her. She just has to do it. Um, and something about them being elderly, I think is supposed to scare us. And I'm not really sure if it's supposed to be like stranger danger, maybe. I don't know what the goal is, but um, there is something there about old people being frightening. And I find that oh. very, uh, like re- like you're supposed to respect them, but also there's something scary about them. Mm-hmm. Well, it makes me think of like Hansel and Gretel mm-hmm. almost. Yeah. And yeah. You know, I definitely think it probably is something about stranger danger, but you know, this whole thing too, about respecting your elders, I feel like maybe this is going to make me sound like a horrible person. Like I, <laughs> it's it, not that do I it. don't respect my elders, but when we look at like, just in our modern society, I do think sometimes older people will get a pass for saying something ignorant. And it's like, oh, well, you know, they're just of a different age or time where it's like, no, like we, I think the best way you can respect your elders is by like pointing that out, you know, or like, I just, I I don't know, you hear or see different stories in the news sometimes. And a lot of times it's like, older people I guess well actually in this crazy time it it, that's how it spreads I guess is what I'm trying to get to so like I think you need to respect your elders by always pushing to help them to see new things and how the world is changing and growing because um, always falling in line and being dutiful and quote-unquote respecting them I think can be very problematic yeah, and I think that's the story is kind of maybe hinting at that, right? Like, um, I don't, I don't know what it's hinting at. I can't, I couldn't figure that out. Mm-hmm. It feels like a puzzle to me that I can't quite solve. But, you know, you're not supposed to trust the elder people. Like, that's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to trust the mouse. Which, what, <laughs> right? Like, I think, yeah, it's just very confusing on what the end goal here. I mean, again, she does profit from working for them, right? So that's got to be something but i'm not really sure you know what they're trying to tell us honestly is it is it what you just said mindy that they're that you're supposed to kind of be wary of maybe elderly sometimes i'm like is it this deep or did they just <laughs> you know it's fun to like talk about it and see and sorry Katri, you were gonna say something so i'll, I'll flip the I, mic over to you oh i didn't mean to interrupt i, I was just gonna say i don't i don't know if it's a if the story is supposed to instill kind of a distrust of this older couple, I think it, it doesn't really describe them. Like you, you're, you're not, you don't get the sense that they're like warm and fuzzy, nor do you get the sense that they're like creepy and scary. They're just described as an old couple who can't, who asked her to, to make them some flatbread. Um, but I think just in the context of the culture, there's, it's just a given that you're going to do whatever your elder tells you to. It, it's, it's so ingrained in the culture and in the norms of, of society that like you, you don't even question it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I I didn't get the sense that the that the story was trying to to say that oh this this older older couple is frightening. They end up being super frightening, but I don't. I think it was just a reflection of you know how how the the age dynamics and the the gen, the generation dynamics work. Right, because if another child had said, "Come over and make me that," I mean, you know, Puntaku was so obedient, she may have, but I think that does like to our sense of these oral traditions and stories being told, trying to keep things simple. It's kind of like, oh, well, if an elderly couple asked, she would say yes. So that makes sense mm-hmm. in the story here. Like, I think you could kind of insert any person that then, you know, they turn into a demon and that's scary. But like, I don't know if there's a huge significance. I mean, we could think deeply and maybe there is. But um, yeah, it could also just be the reflection of we needed to to move the story. We needed to get her there. So that's how they did it. Yeah. And I guess the demon angle is very interesting, too, um, because like you see that in the big bad wolf and these kind of folk tales that we have. And, um, you know, maybe they're not demons. Maybe they're just really bad people. You know, there's a lot of justification out there of, like, why somebody would hurt somebody else, especially a child. So, um, you know, I think that that kind of serves that purpose as well, this idea of um, calling them demons when they could just be, well, not just be murderers. I don't want to, like, they they could be just murdering kids. Um, Like, gosh. Yeah. Well, I hope that they're actually, uh, they're getting prosecuted or something like this seems like a bad deal if like bones right, are going on roofs ends, like yeah. oh this is just normal and yeah. then that happened but i think what you're getting at too of kind of the justification for people being bad it makes me think about like oftentimes when like if a woman went out of line or things in different societies then they were called like a witch you know we exactly. always want to kind of categorize people and if you don't fall in line and you're not obedient then you must be this and like if you're bad in that way for them the elderly couple then they were demons but you know there's there's always these kind of labels mm-hmm. that we i mean they were murdering kids so well of course <laughs> of course but i'm just saying it made me think of the whole witches thing yeah and i'm definitely. sure there's other um correlations that i'm not looking at but yeah any um as we wrap up here any like overall yeah. thoughts i mean i actually i really liked this story because it does you can read it and it can seem kind of surface level and you see the connections to cinderella but i just love all the different nuances that we talked about here like it it, it really does you know i can imagine um, this being a story of, you know, older times, but I also can imagine and see how it could still be reflective in something that's happening today. Yeah. I guess the, you know, one overall thing is there was no happy ever after. Mm. There, like, we don't know what happened to Kuntaku. And, you know, I, I was almost surprised but not surprised given how obedient she was that she took the jewels and went back to her house with the mean stepmother. That surprised me um, too. Rather than just run away. And we actually have no idea what happens to her. We we have the kind of the story of vindication of the little sister. Um, and of course the, the grief that the, the stepmother must have felt at that. But um, I, I thought it was interesting that even though Puntaku was the, the main character, we, we don't know if she had a happy ever after or if, you know, Things went back to normal. She was she was being um, starved and, and mistreated by her stepmother, and the jewels were taken away. And 
That's you know? true. Because my assumption was, I mean, she had the jewels, so she could provide for herself. But again, that's because the story makes you think of her as being older. But when you step back and you're like, okay, she was five or six at this point, like, was she really like those jewels were really hers or were they taken? Um, and I think something that's interesting, um, for whatever reason, it came to mind when you were just wrapping things up there, but kind of the the contrast too of how the stepmother's like, well, I want my daughter to have those riches. So it's almost like, then, you know, well, don't try to get yours. Don't always want more because something bad might happen to you. Like, I wonder if that's kind of like a little theme in here too, you know, because I'm sure it yeah. seems like it could have been enough. Like if they all just worked together and it could have been like, oh my gosh, but instead it was like, well, I want mine for my daughter, you know, mm -hmm. like you have yours, like I have to get mine instead of working together. And like, you know, I, it feels like there's something about capitalism, like overconsumption. Yeah. Maybe there could be some underlying theme nice. there too. <laughs> or just wanting more. Yeah. More and more. Yeah. Like yeah. They, they, have the, they have the riches from, from the older girl. Now they want more, more so they send the younger one. Mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't work out. Yeah. And I think this, I, this notion of happily ever after is so interesting too. I, that's such a great point, Gayatri, because thinking about um, what we usually think as a happy ever after, happily ever after is actually, you know, like at the, like, if you examine it further, it's kind of terrifying. Like, um, we've done a couple episodes on Beauty and the Beast. And it was basically a way to tra train young girls if their husband was not nice and borderline abusive how how would you um how how could you deal with that right like how would you it was basically a manual yeah to, to like appreciate that he's providing for you right. even though he's beastly yes and like that that happy ever happily ever after in that context is actually quite horrifying right and I think that kind of comes back to this story. It's kind of horrifying. Like you say, like, what, I mean, what would, I guess my question is, Gayatri, what would her happily ever after in your mind be? Well, that's an interesting thing. I mean, I was, I was wondering what her motivation was to go back to her family with the riches when she could have just, you know, gone on her own, made, made use of that money. But I think it's just the the pull of family, like that. Mm. The, your your family is your structure. That that's what you exist in. So she didn't. Maybe she didn't think to run away. Maybe her her idea was like, look, I, I have this money. Let me bring it back to my family. That's my unit. And so, in my view, a happy ever after would have been like, oh, she she ran off and made something of herself, and you know, left her mean stepmother and little sister in the dust rather than going home with these riches and sharing. Um, but maybe that's a, you know, a, a, a reflection of my own like Western sense of individualism mm -hmm. as opposed to like a, a family concept. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I think she could have been a CEO of a large corporation. Just, just kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she could have done anything, you know, started her own business, started her yeah. own business, you know, exactly. there's a lot even started up a program to help other women and girls, Who much knows? like what care does. <laughs> now I'm thinking of the village savings and loans programs, Gatry. Yeah, and, absolutely. Um, you know, there's a lot of women out there, women empowering women. And um, I think, yeah, let's, let's 
think that. Let's hope that that's um, where she gets to go and um, being empowered herself and hopefully helping to empower other women, which I think, you know, we're trying to do here and spreading the word. You get to do it every day, Gatri, in your amazing work, um, the work of care as well. So again, care.org, if you want to join us in donating, um, great cause, help to spread women, empowering women and making a, a change for better. So um, we just want to thank you so much thank for being you. with us. Thank um, you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Such, a, such a good conversation. I know you brought so many aspects yeah. that I, I had overlooked. So it's it's always really great to kind of get fresh eyes and a fresh perspective on this. So um, keep up the good work, keep up the fight. And just thank you for everything you're doing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks to both of you. I mean, it's, it's, this was a really fun and interesting conversation. And you what you mentioned earlier about being brave enough to like, you know, have your opinions out there, I think it's fantastic. That's exactly the kind of the kind of thinking and then the, the, the frame that we should be going towards. So thank you for all of your work and for, for bringing these ideas to, to your audience. Oh, yay. Thanks. Yay. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll be back. We'll be back next week. We'll catch you on that folklore flip. Bye. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode, but you can always find us on Instagram at Femlore Podcast or visit us online at Femlore.com. We love what we do, but we can't do it without you. Your listens, shares, and reviews keep us going, so please tell your friends about us. Femlore is produced by Mindy Scott, Rachel Marr, Aaron Crossland, and Lauren Crossland Marr. Audio engineering and music by Aaron Crossland, research and coordination by Lauren Crossland Marr, and as always, canine support provided by Andy and Cody. Ow!